It was at Babylon where people sought to make a name for themselves by building a tower that reached to the heavens, the realm of the gods. Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, describes how Yahweh's dispersal of the nations at Babel resulted in his disinheriting those nations as his people. This is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 1, verses 8 through 25, a familiar passage wherein God gave humankind over to their persistent rebellion. The implications of this decision and this passage are crucial to understanding much of what is in the Old Testament and Israel's calling. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. Hi, welcome to today's edition of Differing Things. I am your host, Bill Petrie. Back in 2017, I found a book in a local bookstore written by Dr. Michael S. Heiser. It was titled The Unseen Realm, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. As I studied through this book with my Bible in one hand and Dr. Heiser's book in the other, I began really a a two-and-a-half-year study of some things I had never thought about, things that I believe will really give you clarity as to Israel's program and how it is that God dealt with the nation of Israel and will deal with her again at some point in the future. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 describes Yahweh's dispersal of the nations at Babel and his resultant disinheriting of those nations, giving them over to other lesser gods. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9, by contrast, states that the nation of Israel belongs to Yahweh alone. We read in Deuteronomy 32, 9 the following, when the Most High apportioned the nations as an inheritance, when he divided up humankind, he established the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. English translations, based on the traditional Hebrew text of the Old Testament, read sons of Israel instead of sons of God. The phrase sons of God comes from manuscripts of Deuteronomy found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Scrolls, which are much older than the traditional received text. The reference to Babel in Deuteronomy highlights an important point regarding this manuscript disagreement. The division of the nations at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9 is connected to the table of nations of Genesis 10, which directly precedes it. The table of nations catalogs 70 nations, but it does not include Israel. Why? Simply because Israel did not exist 
at the time of the Babel event. This makes the reference to sons of Israel in Deuteronomy 32.8 illogical and unsustainable. Sons of God was most likely changed to sons of Israel sometime after the Jewish community in response to the new church established by the Apostle Paul and its use of the Septuagint standardized the Hebrew text in the second century AD, well after the Apostle Paul established the body of Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 8 and 9 is fundamental for understanding the worldview of Old Testament Israel and how God will deal with Israel after the body of Christ has been removed and he picks up his prophetic program once more. These two verses explain both the existence of the foreign pantheons and their inferiority to Yahweh. A parallel passage to Deuteronomy 32 verses 8 and 9 is Deuteronomy 4 verses 19 and 20. And these two verses will provide some needed context. We read in Deuteronomy 4 verses 19 and 20, And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you may be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, whom Yahweh, your God, has allotted to all the nations under the whole heaven. But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Deuteronomy 4, verses 19 through 20, and 32, verses 8 and 9, represent two sides of the same coin. In Deuteronomy 32, God apportions the nations to the sons of God. Here in Deuteronomy 4, however, God allots the gods to the nations. Israelites, in other words, believed that Yahweh, their own supreme, unique God, sentenced the nations and their gods to each other. At Babel, God, like a father dismissing and disinheriting his children, judges all the nations for their disobedience. You can read that in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Then, in the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he calls Abraham effectively starting over in creating an earthly human family for himself. These other gods 
which Deuteronomy 32.8 refers to as the sons of God, were members of Yahweh's heavenly host. <clears throat> Scripture elsewhere condemns both the members of the nations and their gods for disloyalty and corruption. I want to read Psalm 82. It's a very brief psalm of very few verses, but I believe it's critical for us to hear the words of Psalm 82. God stands in the assembly of the mighty. He judges in the midst of the gods. Until when will you judge unjustly and lift up the faces of the wicked? Selah. Judge the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Save out of the hand of the wicked. They neither know nor will understand. They walk in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I have said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. But you shall die as men and fall like one of the rulers. Rise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit in all the nations. Linking the, gen the pagan Gentile nations and their gods in this way gave the biblical worldview its particular focus on making the Israelites distinct from other nations and other gods. These spiritual boundaries between Israel and every other nation indicated that loyalty to other nations could not be separated from loyalty to their gods. The distinctions even extended to physical geography which for the Israelites was cosmic geography. Consider two examples of these spiritual implications, circumcision and the Mosaic law. Circumcision reminded Israel that they were Yahweh's portion. Other nations practiced circumcision but it did not carry the same significance for them that it did for Israel. For Israel, circumcision was sexual and procreative in nature and thus symbolized the nation's birth via Yahweh's miraculous intervention. In choosing Abraham and Sarah, Yahweh had disinherited all other human nations. Likewise, Israelite laws share many features with other ancient Near Eastern cultures, but the rationale for the laws is unique to Israel. In Israelite religion, the laws are inextricably tied 
to an Eonian covenant relationship between Yahweh and the people. This perspective, derived from the Israel's unique status as Yahweh's inheritance, does not appear in other law codes. The concept of cosmic geography is illuminated by other examples. Israel, as Yahweh's inheritance, was holy ground. In the same manner, the territory of other nations, according to Yahweh's decree, belonged to other gods. But in the course of Old Testament history, Israel had become enslaved to the Egyptians, and they required supernatural deliverance from Egypt and Egypt's gods. To subsequently inherit the promised land, now occupied by nations who worshipped other gods, Israel would have to reclaim its landed inheritance by holy war. Thus, once in the land, Israelites still believed that their land belonged exclusively to Yahweh and was his sacred dominion and domain. Other nations, even if they were in Israel, were under the dominion of evil lesser gods. 1 Samuel chapter 26 reflects this belief. David, whom Saul is pursuing, feels distress at not being on holy ground. In 1 Samuel 26, we read the following. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my king, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before Yahweh, for they have driven me out this day, that I should have no share in the heritage of Yahweh, saying, Go serve other gods. <clears throat> David links being in Israel with the ability to worship Yahweh. Why? Is David ignorant of the fact that God can be anywhere he chooses? No. David knows that Israel is Yahweh's portion and that Yahweh has disinherited all other territory and handed it over to the other gods. 
David cannot worship without being on holy ground. David wants nothing to do with ground outside of Israel, where other nations worship their gods. Rather, he desires to be in the sacred space of Yahweh. Another curious incident reflects the same aspect of Israel's worldview. After Elisha, the prophet, heals him, Naaman said, Naaman, the commander of the army of Syria, a domain outside of Israel, makes a strange request of the prophets. And I want, I want to quote it. Then Naaman said, If not, please, let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth. For now, for from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but Yahweh. In this matter, may Yahweh pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Yahweh pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. Naaman's seemingly odd plea, his seemingly odd plea to take that dirt clearly reflects the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. He wants to ensure, he wants to ensure that he worships the God of Israel from now on. He, and since the only way that he can be sure he is worshiping the true God is to worship, now follow this, is to worship him on holy ground. So what does he do to ensure this? He decides to take some of the dirt from Israel with him. The Israelite worldview is prominent with him. The idea that corrupt gods both populate and control certain geographical regions was a popular and prevalent view during the writing of the New Testament. Paul used geographical terminology to describe the heavenly host. He used terms like principalities, rulers, thrones, authorities, powers, and dominions. All one need do is read Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Ephesians 6.12 to see this. Another dramatic example of this 
is the events of Pentecost to Israel in Acts chapter 2, where we see God beginning to reclaim all the nations for himself through Israel. And it was all predicated upon a regenerated Israel being able to take the word to the nations. God, in other words, has not abandoned the nations permanently. Even in Acts 2, when God begins to reclaim all the nations for himself, God, in other words, has not abandoned the nations. In the Old Testament, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, mediators between the disinherited nations and the true God. Israel's laws, prophets, and scriptures all convey knowledge of the true God to the nations. In this sense, in this sense, Israel then was a kingdom of priests. Yes, in every sense of the word, word, they were a kingdom of priests. But just because God isn't dealing with Israel today in this present dispensation, doesn't mean that God will not at some point begin to deal with Israel again and pick up with her where he left off. When we, the body of Christ, are removed and we begin to rule in the celestials, God will resume his plan for the earth and for his nation. At present, God's plans and purposes for Israel have been put on hold. They have been put on hold as he deals with us, the body of Christ, as he deals with us, his celestial inheritance. But after we are snatched out of this realm, and placed into the realm of the celestials so that we can govern in God's counsel, God will pick up where he has left off with his earthly nation, Israel, until all nations and all people are his. Yes, Jesus Christ will be the ultimate mediator, reconciling every nation to God. Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. 
Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.